Next on Abounding Grace. God has given history in advance. He lays before us the way out, the way of escape, his son Jesus Christ, predicting ahead of time just how it's all going to go down. Not every jot, not every detail, not every, but enough for us to say, whoa, Lord, you are worthy of my attention. You are worthy of my life. You are worthy of my adoration. And you are worthy of my obedience. This is amazing grace. When doubts creep into your mind about God or the reliability of His Word, it's a good idea to review prophecy. It has a way of encouraging our faith. Today on Abounding Grace, we return to Daniel chapter 8. And remember, we've entered into the prophetic part of Daniel. And we're just getting to know a coming global leader known as the Antichrist. What's going to happen in the Great Tribulation? We're about to find out. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. So far up to chapter 8 in the first few verses, we learn about the Medo-Persian Empire in the ram. Then came the Grecian Empire, symbolized by the goat. And the huge horn that we're learning now from the goat, Alexander the Great, we know who he is looking back in history. He fell and was broken off on June 10th, 323 BC. And while he was dying, the question came up, what will happen to your kingdom? And recorded as one of the last sentences Alexander spoke, he said, Give my kingdom to the strong. Well, that was such an open-ended statement, and it caused quite a competition. And eventually, the Grecian Empire was divided among four generals. Cassander took over all of the area of Macedonia and Greece. Lysimus took over Asia Minor and Thrace. Seleucus took over Syria and Babylonia, and Ptolemy took Egypt, Israel, and the island of Cyprus. Notice again, verse 9, come back to the text with me. Then one of the prominent horns came, a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south, to the east, and toward the glorious land of Israel. Out of those four horns came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the glorious land. What land? Well, it says for us right here, the land of Israel. As we approach the last days, it would be good again to be reminded that the central focus in the last days is not the United States of America. It is not Europe. It is not Africa. It is not Antarctica. The center of the world prophetically is Israel. Jerusalem to be exact, but Israel. Everything points to Israel. You want to keep track of the prophetic clock? Keep your eyes on Israel. Watch the news in Israel. Make sure all of your news notifications have a whole new setup and subscribe to the newspapers in Israel. Subscribe to the archaeological finds in Israel. Subscri find out. Watch what's happening. Subscribe to the prophetic website. Watch what's happening in Israel. That's where it's important. So the land, it's toward the land of Israel. This little horn also had a name. His name, Antiochus IV. 
Antiochus IV, better known and commonly referred to as Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the eighth king of the Syrian Seleucid dynasty, 175 to 164 BC. Epiphanes should sound familiar to you. Epiphanes was a name that he took upon himself. Literally, it re he required that people call him Antiochus Epiphanes because the definition of Epiphanes is Theos Antiochus Epiphanes. That was the name. And basically he was saying, I want you to say that I am God in the flesh. That was how he named himself among the people. He was a vicious attacker of the Jews, killing some 80,000 Jews in a single march and selling another 40,000 Jews into slavery. I quote, the practice of circumcision, the reading of the law, the observance of sacrifices, the festivals, were all forbidden under his leadership on the pain of death. Devout Jews were forced to eat swine's flesh, to offer up ritually unclean animals, and to defy themselves with every kind of uncleanness and profanation, end quote. He rededicated the Jewish temple to the Greek god Zeus. He changed the sacrificial system and decided no more would lamb, goats, and rams be offered. He offered only pigs on the brass altar. He himself offered up the sacrifice of a pig and then took of its juices and blood and spread it throughout the temple. This event has come to be known as, you probably remember it this way, it's not referred to, it's the uh, commander of heaven's army, it says, offered him by destroying the temple. But in the, old, in the New King James, it's known as the abomination of desolation. And it first happened with Antiochus Epiphanes. Roman historian Josephus records these accounts as to, as to 1st and 2nd Maccabees, the uninspired historical books, the historical books that you find in the Apocrypha. In the midst of this, a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus and his sons led a group of zealots against Antiochus Epiphanes, later to be known as the Maccabean Revolt. They drove out the Syrian army to cleanse the temple, restoring the sacrifices. But when they arrived, there's only enough oil for the menorah to burn for one day. And miraculously, it lasted for eight days. This has been commemorated by the yearly feast, the celebration of Hanukkah by the Jews, the festival of lights, the rededication of the temple. Jesus actually celebrated this very feast in John chapter 7. And so notice in verse 15, Gabriel now gives the interpretation. It says, as I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision, someone who looked like a man stood in front of me. And I heard a human voice calling out for the Uli River, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of his vision. And as Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. Now some of you, as I was giving the introduction, might have wondered, how do you know that what we see here actually is a picture and a type of what is to come? Well, the Bible says so. Gabriel tells him ahead of time. This is for the end. This is what's going to happen later. You see its historic significance in real time, but it also extends to the end. Verse 18. And while he was speaking, I fainted and I lay there with my face to the ground. But Gabriel roused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. 
Then he said, I'm here to tell you that what will happen later in the time of wrath, the time of wrath you would know as the time of the great tribulation period. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. The four prominent horns that replace the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms. But none as great as the first. At the end of their rule, when their sin is at, at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and in succeed in everything that he does. He'll destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He'll be the master. Mark this. This is where we'll wind down today. He will be the master of deception. So we have the countries being named. We have Alexander the Great being identified. We have Antiochus Epiphanes being identified as pictures and types of what will happen during the great tribulation period. He'll be a master of deception. Will become great. Uh, he will become arrogant. He'll destroy many without warning. He'll even take on the prince of the princes in battle. And there he'll be broken, though not by human power. This vision about 2300 evenings and mornings is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time, so keep the vision a secret. When I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days, Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and could not understand it. Don't you think that's an understatement? I was greatly troubled by this wild dream that not only is the near future, but the end of the world. I was greatly troubled. He lays all out the Antichrist when he comes. He'll come on the scene and appear to be the solution to the world's problems. So let me ask you a question, church. You guys online, say it out loud on the radio. Is it possible for the world, I mean the entire globe, doesn't matter what language you speak, doesn't matter uh, what religion you follow, is it possible for the whole world to be so desperate because of a situation to cry out for someone to help them? The whole world, yes or no? Uh, is it possible for a whole world to agree with, to a one world money system just to help the cause? Is it possible for a whole world to say, well, we'll kind of yield ourselves to this general religious belief because if it's going to help the cause, do you see the pictures and types of what we're facing right now? Looking toward the end, do you believe? As I've implored over and over again, do you believe that you're in the last days? That the way the Bible describes things Perhaps even 20, 25 years ago, you'd shake your head and say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I can kind of see they invented this barcode or I have a chip in my credit card. I can kind of see it now. Maybe, maybe 25 years ago, we're like, maybe kind of. Aren't we past the maybe kind of stage, church? Doesn't that develop an urgency in your heart? Not just to understand prophecy, although I believe you should. We really believe what the Bible teaches, and we much of the Bible is prophetic. We believe it. We teach it. It changes our lives. But isn't it more important that even though we believe it, even though we teach it, isn't the most important part is that it changes your life, that it changes your behavior, 
that, that it causes you to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God who predicts the future, writes it down in advance and says, trust me. Oh, but Lord, I don't see it yet. Trust me. Go get the fish. Go find something to feed these people. Oh, I don't see it. I don't see how it could happen. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. I already know. Just do what I say. I already know. I don't, you know, I'm not going to explain it to you. I'm not going to lay it out for you. Like, I already know what I'm going to do. What I want from you right now is trust me and do what I tell you to do. It just seems to be the last day's message. He says, don't become a prophecy buff. And don't get caught up, caught up in things that is a convenient way to hide your disobedience. Okay, so you can share with me all the prophecies explaining to me Ezekiel 38 and 39, but it hasn't changed your life. You just become a prophecy buff. Hey, I say do both. Know the word, know prophecy, and let it change your life. If you really believe it, it will change your life. If you really believe it, it will cause you to be in a deeper position of worship, surrender, and obedience, and love. When you fall in love with the Bible, you fall in love with the God who wrote it. You fall in love with the author. And Jesus laid it out in case you wonder, how do I know if I love God? How do I know if I really love him right? How do I know if I'm doing this whole thing right? This whole relationship? I don't know. I'm used to religion. How do I know? Jesus made it so easy. If you love me, keep my commandments. Obey me. It'll be natural too. You won't have to work it up. You're just like, I love you, Lord. I trust you with my life. I will do what you tell me to do now in the moment, day by day, moment by moment. And so this antichrist typified and pictured thousands of years earlier by Antiochus Epiphanes, he'll be embraced, he'll be elevated, he'll be empowered over the world militarily, religiously, economically. He'll bring somehow peace to the Middle East. He'll be smooth. And what are his weapons? We learn his weapons as we close in verse 25. And these weapons, the Bible, don't forget this, what John warned us. John warned us in the first century that there is a big Antichrist, capital A, one person. But remember what John said, already many Antichrists have entered into the world. The spirit of Antichrist is always already among us. And here's his two tools. Number one in verse 25, he'll be the master. I like how the new NLT, the NLT puts it. The master of deception. He will be the master of deception. Now, I, I, I don't, the closest I can get to this in my mind, like, like that, it, how frustrating it is when I see a magician or an illusionist pull something off that I don't understand how he did it. It just frustrates. Is anybody else, does it frustrate anyone else? Like, I just like, I watch it. I'm fascinated by it. I love it. But automatically, I want to know how he does it. And of course, they don't tell you how they do it. So then I try to figure it out. And I just don't, how did he, I don't understand it. Well, he's the master of deception. It's sleight of hand. They're not, they're not dabbling in the witchcraft stuff. They've learned how to fake you out. And on top of that, they learn how to fake you out and you pay for it. <laughs> and enjoy it. As I have on many times. He's the ma but this is much deeper. Master of deception to destroy your life. A magician, an illusionist. 
He's master of deception to entertain you. But not the Antichrist. Not the many Antichrists. Not the false teachers. Not the cults. They want to destroy your life and divide you, separate you, control you, manipulate you. Secondly, notice, he will also be an arrogant. He will become arrogant. He will become arrogant. In the New King James, you have that open before you. Number one, he's cunning. And number two, he'll be deceitful. Cunning and deceitful. That's where arrogance is. The Antichrist is crafty. And he'll deceive many. And the greatest deception among us today is self-deception. Can we close here? Would you turn over to James chapter 1? I don't want to develop this. We've done it in another Bible study. If you want to study further on James chapter 1, I would encourage you to do it beginning in verse 21. Deception is so common, but the most detrimental deception is self-deception. Notice in James chapter 1 verse 21, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. You guys facing a problem right now? You got a marriage problem? You got a relationship problem? You got an issue? You're not going to fix anything till you get the filth out of your life. Till you come clean. That's the idea. I'm sure you've heard that before. You got to come clean before the Lord. This idea of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth will make no progress. You've got to come clean before the Lord. Against you and only you have I sinned, God. And once you get right with God, then things start to ease up in the, with others, at least in your own self. you got to get rid of the filth, church, and the evil in your lives. And humbly accept the Word of God planted in your hearts because it has the power to save your soul. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says, verse 22. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. It's another word for self-deceived. Self-deceived, you're fooling yourself. And if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, you see yourself and walk away and forget what you look like. Now that, that's just one of the silliest illustrations in all the Bible. Because I can't really think ever in my life looking at a mirror and walking away and going, I wonder what I look like. I don't remember. And I look back, oh, that's what you look like, Ed. I know what I look like. You know what you look like. You know, I can prove it. If I took a picture right now of my phone of this room and I posted on social media and I said, go home when you go home tonight, take a look at social media and look at the picture I posted. Who will you look for? Who will you look for? How do you know it's you? Because you don't forget what you look like. And then when you find you go, oh, that didn't come out good. That's what we see all the time. That's what you look like. But I love the illustration because James is being real because he's giving hard words. He goes, look, you want to test where you are in this realm of truth and deception? Let the Word of God change your life. You got to, what do you mean? How, do I, how does the Word of God change my life? Read it. Do it. Read the Bible. Do the Bible. Don't get caught up in all the arguments. Don't get caught up on the things you don't understand. Don't get caught up. Well, what's this? And I don't understand. Even the Bible study today is pretty heavy, man. Antique is a baby. Well, is that? Okay. So I'm making it easy for you. Read the Bible and do it. Read the Bible and do it. Let the Lord change you from the inside out. 
Self-deception is where you come to the place where you think everything's okay and you're not seeing the word of God for what it says. And you walk away because the Bible's de- described as a mirror. So the picture and the illustration is you read the Bible, you know what it says, and you walk away saying, I don't know what it says. That's about as much, makes as much sense as you looking in the mirror and go, I don't know what I look like. Or looking at a group picture and go, I'm not in there. What do you mean you're not in here? Right there. Oh, I forgot what I look like. You open up the Bible, you go, I know it says, I know, but I don't know. I don't know what it says. And that's where the enemy loves. That's where the Antichrist is going to thrive. He's going to take advantage. Even as we see in a current crisis, the enemy taking advantage of believers that aren't taking the word of God seriously. And they're finding themselves in a place of disobedience, calling it obedience. Because they've read the Bible, but they say they don't know what it means. Or redefine it so it fits their current culture and narrative and their current cultural opinion. So be ready because God has given history in advance. He lays before us the way out, the way of escape, his son Jesus Christ, predicting ahead of time just how it's all going to go down. Not every jot, not every detail, not every, but enough for us to say, whoa, Lord, you are worthy of my attention. You are worthy of my life. You are worthy of my adoration, and you are worthy of my obedience. You don't obey for a church. You don't obey for a pastor. You don't obey for parents. You don't obey for a religious system. You obey out of love, relationship with God who sent his son to die for you. It's the greatest motivation in life is love. Love will move you where nothing else will as you surrender to him. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay. Or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Just search for Calvary Aurora and download that today. Each time we hear from a listener, it is a reminder that God is doing a great work through the radio. It never grows old hearing of the great things the Lord is up to. So please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really want to hear from you. Uh, Pastor Ed, each month we come out with a resource that we believe can assist our listeners in their walk with Christ. And what can you tell us about In the Grip of Grace? Well, I know a lot of our listeners are extremely familiar with the books by Max Lucado. And Max Lucado's book on the topic of grace, In the Grip of Grace, is by far one of the best. An understanding of the grace of God is vital for you. Everyone that's listening, you know the name of our radio broadcast is Abounding Grace, because we want you to know about the grace of God. Uh, Of course, we love to recommend Pastor Chuck Smith's resources. I mean, even going through the entire Bible with him, or even just the book of Romans, uh, will give you a great foundation on the topic of grace in an easy, understandable way. But Max Lucado, he gives... You know, his writing style, his communication style makes it so easy. Uh, from the back of his book, it says, Go ahead, jump off the cliff of self-sufficiency. Leap out of legalism. Walk off the pier of guilt and condemnation. That's the only way you'll land in the strong arms of the Father that loves you, the Father who catches you every time. 
in the grip of his grace. Pick it up, whether you get it on Amazon, you know, wherever you get books, whether you support the ministry, uh, we'd love to have you support the ministry, but however you do it, get a copy of In the Great Grip of Grace. It actually, thinking about it, knowing that this is the book, I think I'm going to pick it up this month. I already own it. I'm going to pick it up in my Kindle, and I'm going to reread it and be encouraged alongside of you as you re- as we all read it together and are encouraged by the grace of God. Get a copy of In the Grip of Grace when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with that. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. We're constantly hearing of people that are being blessed and encouraged as they study along with us. You're a big part of that, as we certainly can't do this alone. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Ed Taylor is the pastor at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, and we invite you to join us online for a service. Whether you live hundreds of miles away, you're out of town on vacation, or sick and can't leave your home, the live stream is always there for you. Go online to calvaryco.church, Saturdays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 8.45 and 10.45 in the morning. There's a midweek service, too, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Again, we're at calvaryco.church. All right, we'll put a bookmark where we left off today in Daniel. Join us next time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, as there is so much more to come. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 